0: Love That Neighborhood is now on Patreon, which offers exclusive bonus content to members. For just 10 bucks a month, you can unlock bonus interviews, live streams, ebooks, and more. By becoming a Patreon member, you're helping us make more of the podcast content that you love and supporting our urban missions program. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com/lovethyneighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today. Love thy neighborhood.
1: Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely
2: awesome. <laughs> Discipleship and missions Mission! for modern times.
0: Back in 2017, the Gospel Coalition ran an article with the following headline, The Number One Reason Missionaries Go Home. Okay, so Rachel, what do you think was cited as the number one reason that missionaries stop their work?
3: Oh man, it's got to be related to money. Either they can't fundraise enough or they have too much debt. Something money related.
0: Okay, so you think it's just financial?
3: Yes, I totally do.
0: Okay. So, surprisingly, finances actually did not even make it into the top five reasons. Really? Yeah.
3: That is surprising. Okay, so then give me a hint. Like, what were some of the other, like, top reasons why they go home?
0: Yeah, okay, so things like health complications, uh, job transfers, early retirement.
3: Okay, so just, like, general life circumstances. Yeah. Okay, so then the the number one reason, (sighs) I don't know. What is it?
0: Okay, according to this article, the number one reason that missionaries leave the field, it is not persecution, it is not finances, it's not even lack of fruit from the work that they're doing. The number one reason that missionaries leave the field is actually conflict with each other. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks.
3: And I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of Christians trying to follow Jesus in our modern
0: times. Today's episode is where the gospel meets conflict. So for today, we're going to hear three stories of people who found themselves in the middle of conflict as we ask the questions, should Christians even face conflict? Is there a way to navigate conflict in a healthy way? And what role can the gospel play when we find ourselves butting heads? Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Okay, so let's take a quick pulse of things to have conflict over in our modern world. (laughs) Can Uh, we not? (laughs) Yeah. COVID-19, racial injustice, LGBTQ issues, Roe versus Wade. Like there is plenty of stuff happening in our world where we just have differing opinions that we are more than willing to fight over.
3: Well, and that's just the conflict on like the large scale. That's like the massive stuff. But there's also conflict that we face in our marriages, with our roommates, in our friendships.
0: Gosh, it feels like everywhere that we turn is just like, oh, there's more conflict waiting for me.
3: Right. So I think before we go any further, maybe we need to do a little defining. So what do we mean when we say conflict? And for that, I spoke with a therapist.
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Channing Palazzo, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist.
3: So this is Channing, and she's been helping people deal with conflict for over ten years, so I asked her, "How would she define it?"
4: You know, it's interesting as I was looking up the definition of that in the dictionary. Um, there was so much negative connotation about the word conflict. You know, the dictionary definitions involved words like battling and fighting, controversy, incompatibility, opposition.
0: Yeah, I could see where that would sound like something that we as Christians should avoid. You know, I'm thinking of Romans twelve eighteen. It says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so I hear, you know, the words that she's using, things like battle and opposition, and like, those don't sound peaceful.
3: Right, but Channing actually thinks that that kind of definition of conflict isn't the right one.
4: And for me personally, when I hear the word conflict, I see it more as tension when there's just differing ideas or we recognize
3: differences of perspectives. Okay, so when Channing says tension, she means anything that's just not the same, like differences. So that could be difference in opinion, difference in personality, difference in what you want versus what this other person wants. So basically, anytime there is a difference, there is potential for conflict.
0: Okay, so the problem isn't necessarily that there is conflict because God made us different on purpose.
3: Right, like differences are good.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. The problem is more about what we do with that conflict or those differences. Right. And I think for a lot of us, like, we just don't know how to deal with conflict. And I think, like, that's why we just end up seeing so many missionaries leave the field over it.
3: Yeah, and I think that makes sense. Like, we just don't know what to do when there's tension— And so we bail.
0: Okay, so that leaves us then with this question, like how do we as Christians deal with conflict? Thankfully, we don't have to start from scratch because Jesus himself dealt with conflict all the time. In Matthew chapter 12, we find Jesus faced with three different conflicts against the Pharisees. The first one happens when his disciples are picking heads of grain on the Sabbath.
3: Right. And the Pharisees confront them and they're saying, hey, that's not lawful what you're doing. You're working on the Sabbath. You can't do that.
0: Right. So, obviously, conflict. And in this instance, Jesus actually responds to them with truth. So he refers to the scriptures, specifically a story about David eating bread out of the temple.
3: Okay, so from this example, we could say that the way to deal with conflict is to speak truth.
0: Well, hold on, because right after that, there's actually a second conflict that happens. Jesus goes into the synagogue and he heals a man with a withered hand. And of course, the Pharisees, they are indignant about this, and it says that they conspired against him, how to destroy him. And how does Jesus respond this time? Okay,
3: so the next verse says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there.
0: Right, okay, so this time, Jesus doesn't engage the conflict. He simply just leaves. But then, there's a third conflict. So if you go down just to a few verses, Jesus heals a man possessed by a demon. And this time, the Pharisees have some sharp words for him. They basically accuse him of working for Satan. And this time, Jesus responds with the same sharp attitude. In anger, he actually calls them a brood of vipers.
3: Okay, so in seeing these three examples from Jesus, I guess what we can gather from this is that there's not just one way to deal with conflict. There's not like a cut and dry response that's like, every time this is how we do it, Case closed.
0: Yeah, like this is the only Christian way to deal with conflict every single time. Yeah. What we see in the life of Jesus is that dealing with conflict takes wisdom. But in the heat of the moment, it's really hard for us to pause and to access and utilize that wisdom. And that was actually certainly true for a young woman named Ifama. So Ifama Nwachuku served with Love Thy Neighborhood in 2015, and during her year, she actually lived with four other young women who were also serving.
1: We were all from different states. We all came from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We all came from different, you know, ways that we became Christians.
0: And during their year together, there was the usual tensions here and there. Uh, You know, little fights like pick up your laundry and... Yeah,
3: I don't like how you're loading the dishes in the dishwasher.
0: Yeah, those sorts of like little arguments. But eventually, Ifama actually starts expressing to her teammates that she feels misunderstood and that she feels really different, which in some sense was true. Ifama was actually the only African-American in her household... And that posture of feeling misunderstood, it started causing some tension in the house. And then one day, it finally culminated in an event that the ladies fondly refer to as the incident.
3: Okay, what is the
0: incident? Okay, so it started like this. Ifama was taking the bus on the way home from her service site. This is the place where Ifama served about 30 hours a week while she was with us. She was later than usual leaving her site, and well, her bus it was also running
1: late. I guess I wasn't really communicating it well to my roommates that I was gonna be late. So in my mind, I was just like, oh my goodness.
0: So being late, it wasn't all that big a deal. The issue was that all the ladies in her house took turns cooking dinner each week. And it just so happens that that night, it was actually Ifama's night to cook which meant that there were four hungry teammates waiting for her to get home. They were not happy.
3: (laughs) But they were hangry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And she wasn't happy either. I mean, she had had a long day. It was a really tough day at her service site. The bus was running late. And she was just hoping for some empathy.
1: So when I came home, I wanted to feel concerned for by my roommates asking me, like, I'm sorry, you're late.
0: But we could just say this, like, that is not how her roommates responded. They actually ended up cooking dinner themselves because Ifama never told them where she was or when she would be getting home. And so they were really upset with her.
1: And then my roommates who were expecting me, they wanted me to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm late. Like, thank you for what they're doing. Like, started cooking for me.
0: So I think, like, this is a bit of what, like, James is getting at in James chapter 4 when he writes that quarrels and fights come from our warring desires. Because even before Ifama stepped into the house, there were desires and there were expectations on both sides.
1: So you have people who are looking for affirmation in one another but are so caught up in their anger that they're not going to give it. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, thank you for cooking for me when I felt like you don't care about me because I'm late. You're not going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry you're late when (laughs) you don't when you think I don't care about you because I'm late.
0: So if I'm finally gets home and things just explode.
1: And then that's when kind of all hell broke loose. It turned into yelling, Yahtzee yelling, lots of inappropriate words.
0: I mean, good grief, they're, like, yelling the F word at each other, sentences like, don't you call yourself one of my effing sisters in Christ because you're not. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, this feels like
3: it came out of nowhere. Like, this went from, I'm mad because you're late and you didn't tell me when you're coming home, to, like, dropping the F bomb? Like, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, but remember, like, Tensions were already a little high in the house to start with. I mean, with Ifama constantly feeling misunderstood and the girls not knowing how to relate well to her. So this incident, it was just kind of the final push that finally just sent everything overboard.
1: I was yelling because I was mad and I felt people did not care about me.
0: So Ifama's dealing with the conflict by yelling, but one of her teammates, Brittany... She actually responds to conflict very differently.
5: Like the moment that people were frustrated that Yifama wasn't home in time, my anxiety was already starting. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Breathe. Find a way to disappear. Almost. I remember at some point I was in the kitchen and I was like almost hiding behind the fridge. My physical body was still present, but I emotionally didn't want to be there.
3: Okay, so that's interesting. You've got these two people, Ifama and Brittany, experiencing the same conflict, but dealing with it in two very different ways. And that's actually something I talked with therapist Channing Palazzo about as far as how we deal with conflict. And she referred to something that's called family of origin.
4: You know, as an LMFT, a marriage and family therapist, I'm trained to look at those family dynamics and group dynamics and and the layers of systemic issues. And I think most of us don't really have the opportunity to stop and think about our family of origin and what we were taught, what was modeled um, in terms of conflict or our role or responsibility in conflict.
3: Okay, so what she's saying there is this, is that... The way that we learn how to deal with conflict, you know, our conflict tactics, a lot of it comes from what we learned from our family, how we saw our family approach it. A lot of it comes from what we saw as children, and we just model that.
0: Yeah. Well, let's put that in this context then. Some background on both of the ladies. So for Ifama, she grew up in a family where yelling was very normal. And so when a fight breaks out, she's comfortable with fighting and she's willing and ready to put up her dukes and to join in. But for Brittany, because of what she had experienced as a kid, when conflict arises in her mind, it means something really terrible is about to happen and her anxiety just skyrockets.
4: And maybe we tend to show up in conflict ready to fight or we tend to just shy away in fear But if we never stop and evaluate that of what is unhealthy about um, what I've experienced and what I've learned and what do I need to unlearn and relearn so that I'm equipped to engage in a healthy way.
0: And this family of origin stuff, it was clearly displayed in how each of the team members was handling the situation. I mean, Rachel, think about this. Imagine this scene. You've got Ifama and another teammate screaming at each other. You've got one in the middle trying to break them up. And then you've got poor Brittany hiding in a corner. And then another one is just like laying on the bed, ignoring the whole thing. Oh, my gosh.
1: It was a hot mess.
3: So so what happened?
0: Well, eventually, Brittany realizes that she cannot be in this environment anymore. So she goes outside to escape and some of the other girls follow her.
1: The girls that were involved, they ended up going outside for a little bit.
0: So they went and they sat on the front porch, one, to help themselves cool down, but two, to give Ifama space to cool down as well.
1: And then I was like, where are they at? So I ended up going downstairs, like creep on them. And then I'm like, oh, so they're having a little powwow without me that infuriated me. Cause I'm like, again, they don't care about how I feel. They're just going to comfort one another. And I was just kind of over it. I'm like, I don't care anymore. And the next day, went to work like nothing happened. Wait. Okay, so they just had this
3: big showdown, explosion, yelling the F-bomb, calling each other names. And now Ifama's just like, eh, nothing happened. Going about my business.
0: Yep. For her, case closed. Wow. (laughs)
3: Okay. So I... I'm guessing this would fall under what therapist Channing Palazzo would classify as unhealthy conflict.
4: So unhealthy conflict is more rooted in a desire to win or be right or to kind of conquer the battle, so to speak, and and more motivated from that
3: unhealthy self-preservation. And I think a lot of us are probably familiar with this kind of conflict. Like, it just doesn't play out well. Feelings are hurt. We don't know where to go from here.
0: Right, totally.
3: So the question that I have then is, what does it look like to deal with conflict in a healthier way? And that was actually a question that a guy named Jim Davis found himself asking.
6: I say, at my core, I'm a small-town mayor who just wants everybody to get along. (laughs) And so my, my heart really is toward peace.
3: Coming up. A room full of debaters and elephants. We'll be
2: right back. Hey listeners, it's Anna, media editor. Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours, free of charge to local ministries.
3: I'm Lisa Ray. I'm the development
2: director for Beside You for Life. Beside You for Life is a pregnancy resource center that provides education and holistic care for women facing crisis pregnancies, responding to their needs and protecting the lives of unborn children. Beside You for Life seeks to provide a safe and emotionally supportive place for women to hear and experience the gospel while being equipped in very practical ways to live productive and flourishing lives. Lisa shared with me why she enjoys having interns around. First thing I appreciate about them is their love for the Lord.
3: The second thing is their new perspective on things. So as staff members who are here all the time, we tend to do the same things the same way. When we bring interns in, they can give us new perspective and they also bring a new skill set that we typically don't have on the staff.
2: If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30, Through the areas of service, community, and discipleship, you'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: It's the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks.
3: And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode is where the gospel meets conflict.
0: So we just heard from a woman named Ifama. She was serving with LTN, and she's had a huge argument with her teammates, saying things to each other that can't be repeated on this podcast without bleeping them out. So whether we are
3: someone who tends to engage conflict by facing it head on and fighting, like Ifama, or whether we're someone who just Wants to avoid conflict at all costs, like her teammate Brittany. The question is, how can we engage conflict in a good way? And that answer is something that a guy named Jim Davis found out.
6: Yeah, my name's Jim Davis. I am in Orlando, Florida. I pastor Orlando Grace Church.
3: So Jim is a pastor and, of course, being a pastor in 2022, there is no shortage of conflict to deal with.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Bless all you pastors.
3: (laughs) Right. But this whole idea of dealing with conflict really came to the surface for him when the Gospel Coalition had an idea for a series of videos that they wanted to call Good Faith Debates.
6: Yeah, the good faith debates are an effort to bring people together who disagree on very important issues and bring them together to talk about those issues, to debate those issues in good faith.
3: So the premise of these good faith debate videos was this. Each video would have a topic like gun control or abortion, and they would invite two Christians with opposing views on that issue to speak. Each one would give a monologue argument for their position and then a moderator would lead a further discussion by asking follow-up questions with both of them. And since he had worked with the Gospel Coalition before, guess who they wanted to moderate these videos?
0: I'm going to guess that they wanted Jim to do it.
3: <laughs> that is correct.
6: And what my friends know about me is I'm, I'm not somebody who looks for conflict. Uh, I joke, I say at my core, I'm a small town mayor who just wants everybody to get along. <laughs> and so my, my heart really is toward peace.
3: So Jim liked the idea behind it to model a way for Christians to disagree in a civil manner. So he said, sure, he would be the moderator for these debates. But he did have some concerns.
6: When I first started talking to the Gospel Coalition, I I just I I remember saying, I just don't want this to turn into the Elephant Room.
3: Okay, Jesse, do you remember the Elephant Room?
0: No, no, I've never. It it sounds like like a Republican uh, kid's show. (laughs) <laughs> like, uh... It's this. It <laughs> okay. No, I don't.
3: No, no. Okay. So, The Elephant Room. It was also a series of recorded discussions among a handful of pastors and leaders where they debated different viewpoints on different topics. Okay. And this one was moderated by James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And there was some controversy around it because one of the speakers they brought on was seen by many to have some heretical viewpoints. And it caused this huge conflict. And in the end, James McDonald, one of the moderators, actually resigned from his council position at the Gospel Coalition. It was a huge, huge mess.
0: Oh, my gosh. And so now here's the Gospel Coalition coming around and going like, hey, guys, we've got this idea. And it's like, oh, is this really going to just be a repeat of that first disaster?
3: Yeah. So you can understand like Jim having some concerns about this. right? But He flew out to Washington, D.C., to the Museum of the Bible, where they spent one long day filming five different debates. And Jim moderated all of it.
0: Gun violence is a massive and
1: tragic problem which afflicts America far more than comparable nations. Christians have a moral duty to protect every person's right of existence and of self-defense which includes the
0: right to bear arms. Pregnancy centers outnumber abortion clinics nearly three to one in America today.
2: Supporting abortion access in these cases belies a belief in the intrinsic value of every human life regardless of the circumstances of conception.
7: But the truth is a large part of the American church has
4: never gone to the cross in brokenhearted humility over racial injustice. There are ways local churches should not address racial Injustice that individual believers should.
6: It was one long day. My brain was mush by the end of it.
3: But by the end of the day, besides total exhaustion, the tone in the room was not like the elephant room. In fact, the debaters surprised Jim with their attitude toward one another.
6: So to show up and meet them and see, Even though they really disagree on these issues, they were just so nice to each other, complimenting what each other and things that they've done, exchanging phone numbers. It was just really, it was a sweet environment.
3: It was something that therapist Channing Palazzo would call a healthy approach to conflict. Healthy conflict, you know,
4: is more rooted in uh, recognition of differences, but there's a respect there um, and even an appreciation for differences and openness to understand someone else's perspective. Um, It's not perceiving a difference as a threat, so it can be more open and curious, less defended.
0: Oh my gosh, like you never see that anymore. You know, like now it's just like polarization. Like it's me versus you, my side versus your side. So like, how in the world did Jim orchestrate such civility and thoughtfulness with these two parties.
3: Okay, so during the debates, Jim noticed a pattern of approach that he calls the three C's. Okay, so the first C stands for comprehend.
6: And so when we come in, you know, in any of these debates and issues, I think we want to start out, do I really understand my opponent's side?
3: Basically, what he's saying is, like, don't address someone if you are not informed on their position and why they hold that position.
0: Yeah, like, that's just a fair thing, right? Like, you don't want me to put words in your mouth. So if you express something to me and I say, oh, this is Rachel's point of view, it needs to actually be your point of view and not just my ideas of your point of view, forcing a bunch of words and language in that you yourself didn't say.
3: Right, exactly. So that's the first C, is comprehend. The second C is commend.
6: Then what can I commend about the other person? And this is in in four of the five debates I asked, what was the most compelling argument that your opponent had?
3: I think this can be a really hard step, you know, especially when we've gotten into polarization and we just see the other side as the enemy and we're like, well, there's nothing good over there.
0: Yeah. So I just think about like, I don't know, um, like political candidates come up, like presidential candidates. And so somebody mentions Biden and people are like, he is 100 percent wrong. Like, really? Like there's zero. He has zero percent of what he's doing that's right. There's
3: nothing he does. And the same
0: thing with Trump. It's like Trump is 100 percent. No, like that's not accurate either. So at some level, we have to be willing to occasionally Commend what is good, or even if you can't commend the final you know, where people land, like what are they aiming for? Can you at least align with that?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And when it comes to this step too, according to Channing, it's really important for us to remember our role as we go into this.
4: I think even if we're feel really strongly about our stance on something, the reality is someone else's perception is is still their perception and it's not necessarily our job to change their perception. So even if we are you know, fully convinced that we are 100% right and our belief is truth, um, I still think it can sometimes cross a line if we feel responsible or like it's our job to change someone else's view because we really don't have the power to do that.
0: Okay, so the first thing is comprehend. The second thing is commend.
3: Right. And then the last C is critique.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I think that like most of us, when we face conflict, we skip straight to critique mode. Right. We defend why I'm right and why you are wrong.
3: Right. And Jim is saying that's actually the last step. And Jim sees this three C's approach as being much more charitable and hospitable than simply... I'm right, you're wrong, let's yell, let's duke it out. And in fact, as Jim was able to really listen to these debaters and not come with that kind of defensive posture, he actually walked away with some different thoughts of his own.
6: I walked into these debates largely knowing which side I was on, but there were a few debates where the the other person made points that I, I need to engage in that. I would walk away in some of the debates thinking, am I as charitable as I think I am toward people who hold a different position? Because I I was around people who really modeled that well.
3: And Jim thinks if we can take this approach, this comprehend, commend, then critique, that we are less likely to run into a big explosion like Ifama and her teammates experienced. Which, by the way... Whatever happened with them?
0: Okay, yeah. So going back to your Fama's story, the day after everything happened, I actually get a phone call from one of the ladies. And they informed me that there had been this huge argument as a household and that no one was speaking to each other. And so I began to reach out to different team members one by one to try and figure out what had happened exactly some were pretending like nothing happened some of them were pretending like it was world war 3 i cannot get like any kind of consensus so i finally just asked them all to come to a mandatory meeting at my office
1: it was a time where everyone can kind of explain
5: what happened A group of us were sitting down and I just was having to talk to myself about, like, you're going to have to assert yourself. You're going to have to say what actually happened. You're going to have to go places that you don't want to go. And I remember thinking, like, is it worth it? I really questioned Ifama. Like, is she worth it?
0: And so if you imagine, like, I've got chairs set up in a circle in the room and everybody comes in and they sit down And we give space for each person to talk and to share their side of things.
1: I know that I was saying hurtful things to one teammate in particular. I was like, you know, will you forgive me? And then she was like, I can't forgive you right now. Like, she she said that.
3: Okay, so it sounds like some people were really hurt by this whole incident.
0: Yeah, it was a really painful experience for everybody involved, Mm -hmm. you know, the other thing is this, is like throughout the meeting, Ifama's body language is is really just as cold and as defensive as can be. I mean, arms crossed, legs crossed, eyes staring at the ground. Like it is very clear that she has a wall up and she is not going to let anyone in. She has resigned herself that this is a fight and she is going to continue to protect herself. Mm. But then like, there's this moment where one person on the team decides to approach Ifama's fighting attitude with love and with kindness. She just looks at Ifama and she says, I don't care how mad you are, but you have to come home with us. Like we can fight and you can be as angry as you wanna be, but come home and fight with us because your place is with us. And all of a sudden, I look over and I just start to see tears rolling down Ifama's face. And she tries to respond, but it's like, it's like she can't get the words out, almost like she's choking on them. And finally Ifama gets the words out and she says, I have no memories of ever being held as a child. And suddenly like, we realize that underneath like all that conflict and all that fighting, there was just a little girl who just wanted to know that she was loved. And her teammate telling her to come home with them, that was the thing that broke down the wall.
3: Man, I think that's just so powerful. You know, I think a lot of times when we're dealing with conflict, there's actually something underneath it. You know, for a there was a deep wound underneath the conflict, and she just needed someone to care enough to kind of get that wound to the surface.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's this thing called the ninety ten rule, and the idea is that 10% of the conflict that I feel and the emotion I feel and the way I'm expressing myself in relation to this conflict Only 10% of it is related to the conflict that I'm having right now in this moment. 90% of what I'm feeling is actually coming from my past, from my story. And those things are pressing like the winds against my back, forcing me and thrusting me forward and intensifying everything that I'm feeling. So in this context, only 10% of what Ifama was feeling had anything to do with the fact that she didn't make dinner and that her teammates were upset with her. 90% of it came from the fact that she felt misunderstood and that she had all of these struggles and pains that are left over from her childhood that she's still working on.
3: Mm -hmm. And I think in this way, conflict ends up being a really good thing. Yeah,
4: Conflict is intended to be
3: redemptive,
4: you know, and when we can get back to that understanding, I think we're equipped to be much more fruitful, you know, as believers
5: It wasn't until that moment when she let us in and let us actually see who she was and the ways that she really hurt, that was when we could actually love her. You know, for the first time, I I really felt
1: cared for by friends.
3: So what happened after all that? Did they finally make amends?
0: Yeah, they did. But far more than that, you know, this conflict really drew them so close together that after their service term was up, Brittany and Ibama, they actually ended up choosing to continue to
5: live together. For one thing, like there's your family, but then there's like your family, like the people that choose to be your family. You're not just born there. And it's not perfect by any means, but I think for her, like we became that place.
0: And for one of the other roommates, the one that actually Ifama fought with the most during her time in LTN, about a year after the program ended, that roommate actually ended up getting married. And guess who was standing by her side as her maid of honor?
1: Oh, wow. One of the girls that we were constantly butting heads. Like I felt she talked down to me. She felt I was rude, I didn't care for her. We were so different but I ended up being, you know, her maid of honor in her wedding. And that's just like, okay, no one would have guessed I'm standing beside her on her wedding day.
3: Man, I think that's such a testimony to conflict transforming Ifama's relationships into something beautiful. And, like, that's kind of what conflict does. You know, if you think about Any good story that you love, think about your favorite movie or your favorite book. What happens in that story? The main character goes through conflict, and they're transformed by it. And hopefully for the better. And that actually reminds me of something that Jim Davis said. He likens healthy conflict to this toy that his kids used to have
6: when one of my kids was younger we bought them a rock tumbler and a rock tumbler is I don't know if you've ever seen one of these but it's a little barrel you know smaller than your head and you put in this barrel these rocks and a little water and some other things in there and you then turn it on for a month which nobody told us it would run for a month when we (laughs) bought it but it's just it's just rolling for a month and these rocks are just slowly banging against each other and after a month and i don't know a million millions of little little hits against each other you open it and you have these smooth beautiful jewels and I think that's a good picture of what conflict does. When we know how to engage in conflict well, it's good for both parties and it, and it sanctifies us. And con- It's a way that Jesus conforms us more into his own image.
0: And I think like the image of Jesus is not ultimately about being right or about getting what's mine. I mean, it, when I think of Jesus, I think about love. I think about sacrifice. It's about loving our enemies, turning the other cheek. It's about picking up our cross and walking in the footsteps of our Savior.
3: Yeah. And I actually have one more story that showcases the power of love in the midst of extreme conflict. But for this one, we need to travel across the ocean to North Africa. Stay with us.
0: Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So. Go to lovetheneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks,
3: Rachel Zabo. Today, where the gospel meets conflict. So, we've heard from Ifama and we heard from Jim Davis, and we've seen that conflict can be good for us and transformative for our relationships. But there's one other approach to conflict that I think stands out for us as Christians in particular, and that is love. And seeing love in the midst of conflict is something that a guy named Les Gross witnessed firsthand. So this story starts when Les took a mission trip to North Africa, and the gentleman he was with took him to a very particular region. So here's Les.
7: Like, this is a, a very rural, isolated, mountainous part. One day, he took me up on a mountain, and then it was overlooking a small to medium-sized city. And this this city was, like, beneath me at, th- at the foot of the mountain. He's like, who's going to make sure that these people have a chance
3: to hear the good news? And Les felt the weight of that and immediately started praying, right there on the mountain.
7: Like, who's going to come? God send somebody. And then God's like, what about you? Um, <laughs> so it was like, OK, uh, yes, Lord, we will we will go.
3: And so Les and his family uprooted and moved to rural North Africa. Now, outside the city where they were living were these two villages. And upon arriving, Les finds out that these two villages, they actually hate one another.
7: In this part of North Africa, there's two groups that are in constant conflict with each other.
0: And why is that? Okay,
3: so the one village is called Demon Lake, and the other one is called Michael Village. And one reason they didn't get along was since they both existed on the same mountain, there was some discrepancy over what land belonged to which village.
7: Their conflict really comes back to, like, they both have animals and they want to graze the animals, and it's like, we claim this meadow, uh, this grazing land is our village's grazing land, and the other were like, no, it's ours.
0: So it's like a little bit of like the Hatfields and McCoys kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah, a
3: little bit. But in addition to that, The other thing that caused major conflict between them was their religions. So Demon Lake was a Muslim village, and Michael Village followed a mostly African traditional religion, but with this like weird sampling of some Christian vibes, like they would make sacrifices to different saints. Like, it's kind of strange. But all that to say, religion caused an even further rift between these two groups.
7: And so, It was both over limited resources and over religious and cultural differences.
0: So, like, when we talk about conflict, like, how is this conflict playing out? Like, did these groups just not speak to each other? Was it like, a you don't cross to the other side of the tracks or, I guess in this case, the other side of the mountain kind of thing?
3: Well, sometimes. But sometimes the conflict actually got violent.
0: Okay,
7: you beat up this group of kids that were up there grazing the cattle, um, this person's permanently maimed because of that. And eventually it even escalated to the point where there was death on both sides.
0: Oh, wow.
3: Yeah, like it's pretty heavy. And now here comes Les and his team onto the scene with the goal of trying to share the gospel between these two villages. So these villages, they're actually pretty hard to get to. So from where Les is living, it's about a nine-hour commute of both vehicle and hiking. So there's not easy access to the people in these villages. But then one day, one of the villagers ends up coming to them.
7: This area of the country was being kind of prepared. It's a beautiful area, and it was being kind of set aside as a national park, and they wanted to train local people to be guides.
3: So the government was creating this new national park out of some of the surrounding land where these villages were. And they were offering to train some of them to essentially be park rangers.
7: And one of the people they chose was the head of of a village elder in Michael Village.
3: So this elder, his name is Dave. So Dave travels nine hours into the city to attend this six-month park training.
7: Two guys that were on our team, they were walking in that area of of the city where the training was kind of in a university area of town. And they bumped into this guy and share the gospel with him in a tea shop outside of the university. And he comes to faith.
0: Wow, okay, so Dave, Just becomes a Christian. Yeah. Wow. And
7: then after six months, he goes back to his uh, his village up there in the mountains and he leads his father to faith. And then through his father, like 180 other people in that village come to faith. That's amazing.
3: Yeah. So there's this like total awakening happening in this village.
0: Yeah, that's like old-school revival. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And wait, and so which village does Dave live in?
3: Okay, so Dave lives in Michael Village.
0: Okay. So
3: this miraculous set of events leads to more than 100 people in that village believing in Jesus. And then, a year later, Les has the opportunity to go to the enemy village, to Demon Lake.
7: We came into the village, and the this young girl, like... 14, 15 years old, invites us to her house for a coffee ceremony.
3: Now, in North Africa, coffee ceremonies are not like, hey, let's go grab some Starbucks and catch up. Like, it's this whole ordeal, and it takes hours to prepare. So, Les and his team are sitting in this hut, and it turns out that this girl's father, Yassim, is an elder in the village.
7: And then, as we're Kind of in the hut, Yassim says to this little four or five-year-old boy, you know, shoo the animal out of the house.
3: So typically these folks sleep with their animals inside to prevent wild animal attacks or theft.
7: And so this little four-year-old boy goes and hits this calf on the, you know, on the rear end with a stick so that it goes out of the house. But he says the child's name, and the child's name is Isa,
3: And Issa is the Arabic word for Jesus.
7: And it's not a normal thing. Like there are people named that in the Muslim world, but it's not a normal name. And so we perked up at that and we said, so why did you name your your son Isa? Uh, Why did you name him after, after Jesus?
3: And at that question, the elder Yasim stood up.
7: And he looked at us and he said, before you share with me what God sent you here to share, I need to tell you a story. Four years ago, my wife was very pregnant and a man came to me in a vision at night and he was all in white and he said, I am Isa the Messiah. And I'm going to send to you someone from across the ocean one day who will tell you my story uh believe that man and then he he proceeded to say uh, that was 4 years ago and the man in white also said to me as a sign to you that this is true your wife will give birth to a son tonight name that son
0: isa after me unreal yeah wow so he just has this vision and it's like unfolding right now,
3: mm mm-hmm. four years later.
0: Amazing.
7: And then uh, he said, "What took you so long?" <laughs> so, like as though we were we were late, uh, you know, in, in bringing this this news from, um, from Issa that he had seen this vision
3: of. So of course, Les and his team share with Yasim and his family, about who Jesus is and what he has done for us.
7: And he's like, absolutely, we believe this. This is what we have been waiting all of these years. And there were nine adults in the the house that day, and they all said, we want to follow Jesus and him only.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So at this point, like, people from both villages now have come to faith. That's
3: right. And Les wanted Dave and the people in the other village to know what happened. So they leave Demon Lake and go across the mountain back to Michael Village.
7: We share with Dave and particularly with his father that we had seen people come to faith in the other village we were kind of testing the waters to see what what his reaction would be, uh, knowing that his village was in conflict with this other village.
0: Oh man, I'm gonna imagine like they would not be super happy to learn that Les has you know been over to see their enemies. Like, right? Uh, how did Dave's father respond?
7: And he says. Finally, God has answered my prayer. I have been praying for this for 1 year.
3: So Dave's father had actually been praying for the people of Demon Lake ever since he had become a believer. And he was overjoyed to learn that they had come to faith. But he now also had some questions.
7: Immediately that day he started he like that evening, he started asking questions. He's like, so I have three sons, you know, Dave, and then these two other two sons who can read the word to me because there's not a lot of education, particularly in the older generation. Um, does my new brother, Yassim, does he have anyone who can teach him and read to him from the word of God so that he can learn uh, the stories of God?
3: Dave's father wanted to know if Yassim and the other people in the warring village had the same access to God's word as he did. And Les told him that, no, they didn't. So the village where Yassim lived actually didn't have any schools. So even less people there knew how to read than in Dave's village. And Les and his team said that they would make plans to visit Yassim and do some discipling with them, training with them. but. Because of the nine-hour commute, I mean, that training was going to be spotty at best. And upon hearing all this, Dave's father speaks up.
7: Dave's dad says, I have the solution. I have three sons. I will give them one of mine. I will give Dave to my new brother, Yassim.
0: Wait, what does that even mean? I'm going to give my son to them? So,
3: Dave's father wanted to send Dave to live in the other village, permanently. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, this village that had killed people from his own village. I mean, the gospel had changed his heart so much that he was willing to love the very people he was in conflict with.
7: We get up the next morning at like five o'clock in the morning eat a quick breakfast and hike back over the mountain, and we were praying <laughs> for protection the whole time.
3: And they were praying because in this region, you know, you can simply look at a person and know which village it is that they come from. So it would be very evident as they're coming into this village with Dave and with his father that they were on the enemy's side. And that, you know, might cause an attack on sight. So it, it was a risky situation.
7: And so we walk into this Muslim village and we go straight to Yasim's house and uh, Dave's father's like, this is now your son. He was my son, but now he is your son. And he actually gives his son to somebody that would have been an elder in the village
0: of the enemy. What did Yassim say? How how did he respond? Yeah, so Yassim, he
3: accepted the offer. So Les and his team and Dave's father all went back to Michael Village, but Dave stayed in Demon Lake with Yassim. And while he was there, Dave read the scriptures to Yassim, and then Yassim was able to then teach those same scriptures to other people in the village.
7: More and more people came to faith in that village, so much so that uh, at one point, the village said, we have to decide, as a village, who we are going to follow. Are we going to follow Muhammad, or are we going to follow Isa? And the, the whole village said, from this point on, we will not be a village that follows Muhammad. We will be a village that follows Isa.
0: Wow. So, like, this whole village becomes followers of Jesus all because Dave's father was willing to show love in the midst of this crazy conflict.
3: That's right. Yeah. If he hadn't sent his son Dave to live with them, Yassim wouldn't have learned more of God's word and wouldn't have been able to teach it to the village.
7: I mean, that that to me just sort of, like, that's the power of the gospel right there, that two communities that are at war with one another and have deep nuances to their, their conflict that is only being added to those two communities come together and one serves the other that used to be their enemy in a way that like only the gospel can do that.
0: So the next time that you are faced with conflict, what can you do? Two quick applications. First, learn your own conflict style. Just like Ifama was prone to fight and her roommate Brittany was prone to avoid, learn about your own default approach. A good way to do that is through our other show, the Enneacast. We're actually currently doing an entire series on conflict. I encourage you to check that out.
3: Okay, so first thing, get to know your own approach to conflict. What's the second application?
0: Okay, second, practice Jim's three C's. Uh, You said that they were comprehend, commend, and then critique. Yep. And this is especially good for big picture disagreements like national issues. So if you want to see this played out, check out the Good Faith Debates videos. You can find those at thegospelcoalition.org. The Gospel is all about love in the midst of great conflict. Romans 5 tells us that apart from Jesus, we are God's enemies, that we are in conflict with him. But Jesus' death reconciles our conflict. He didn't shy away from the conflict, he engaged it head on with love and compassion. So the next time you find yourself faced with conflict, ask yourself, how is God at work right now? How is he using this conflict to change me, to show me more of himself? And most importantly, since God has shown you love in conflict, how can he help you show that same love to the person you're in conflict with? If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Channing Palazzo, Ifamund Wachuku, Brittany Chimento, Jim Davis, and Les Gross. Our
3: senior producer and host
0: is Jesse Eubanks. Our co host today is Rachel Zabo, who's also our media director and producer, and who the other day brought her big old dog into the office.
1: And then that's when kind of all hell broke loose. Anna Tran is our audio engineer.
0: Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX.
3: If you want a hands on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Through the areas of service, community, and discipleship, you'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.